Hello. Well, it's uh, Parsha Shlach. School is over. So uh, particularly important to talk about the Parsha because it doesn't necessarily get as much attention. And it's a packed Parsha. It's a packed Parsha as any. So Parsha Shlach basically talks about a very, very uh, I guess what you'd say, an infamous story. The Jews had traveled, had been in the desert for approximately a year and a half, a um, little less, and they um, get to the land of Israel, and this is what they had been promised. They're going to the land of Israel. And what happens, as we see in so many stories, which obviously there's so much to the story, but on the surface, the basic storyline is that the Jews are a little bit complaining slash nervous. And what do they do? They say to Moshe, you know, is this land really that great? God says it's great, but we're nervous. Maybe we should, um, we're, we're, we're told that we're going to have to, that we're going to, you know, there's all these nations in, 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 in the land of, of Canaan and we have to fight with them, you know. We need to send spies. We need to send spies into the land of Israel to check it out. Now, this was woefully inappropriate because if God tells you something's good, it's good. You don't have to spend. They they ended up sending twelve people, a representative from each tribe, for forty days to check out Israel. So there's a lot in this story. And um, let's see what we can learn from some items in this story. So one famous line in chapter 13, verse 33, I, I actually, it's one of my most, I, I, I really like this, uh, this, this idea. I've heard it said in so many different ways, but here you go. So, Chapter 13. So, so the um, the 12 messengers, they're called the Moroglin, the spies, they go to Israel and they come back with a with and 10 of them give a bad report about Israel. Two of them don't. So here's their report. They're giving a whole report how there's giants there and everyone's dying there, and it's it's dangerous. And one of the things they say is um do I have the wrong verse second sorry hmm. I'll tell you by heart I, I know it's somewhere here um it says that we were in our eyes like grasshoppers and so they saw us. What does that mean? What they were obviously trying to say is that these people were such big, strong giants that they um, they they saw these these Jews walking around Israel, and they uh, they looked the small as grasshoppers. But it, it but it writes it in the inverse. It says that they were in their eyes like grasshoppers. Ah, I found it. It's and what is that supposed to mean? 
And what it means is they perceive themselves as small compared to the, the uh, giants. And guess what happens? If you perceive yourself as small, that's how others will perceive you. I remember years ago, and I think I must have been 18, and the rabbinical college sent me and my friend out to raise money in the outlying neighborhoods near Providence. And the particular partner that I had was a few years older than me, a little more seasoned. And we get to the door, and I do not sound excited about the cause. When we walk out, my friend says to me, look, if you're not excited about the cause, how do you expect other people to be excited about the cause? And this is the thing that we see a lot of times we're not happy with the way we think other people um, treat us or perceive us. Now, sometimes it might not even be true. You may be projecting your own thing, thoughts about yourself on other people. But that's that's first of all. But second of all, sometimes it actually could be. People are perceiving you that way, but that could only be a reflection of your own self. So what we got to do, we want to get along with people. We got we to gotta think highly of ourselves. And if even if there are some things about us that we want to, uh, to improve, but we're still good. There's a lot of good things about us, and that's what we got to do. And we can give that gift to other people. I'm sure we all hear it's very common, especially among Jews, uh, that we can be self-deprecating. You ever go on all the good Jewish comedians? They're very self-deprecating. Now, if a comedian is making a living out of it, that's one thing. But to be self-deprecating when you're just being self-deprecating, that ain't good for anyone. So that's one thing we learned from the Parsha. The next thing is that, so one of the 12 uh, spies' name was famously Joshua. Yehoshua, the next who was going to ultimately be the next leader, 38 years later. And Moshe knew ahead of time that this whole spy situation was no good. It wasn't coming from a good place. And he knew that his... and his um, Star student Yeshua, it was really going to be in, in, in a bad in a case where he could be influenced in a bad way. So, what does he do? He calls his name, wasn't always Joshua, wasn't always Yehoshua, it was Hoshea. Moses, before this big trip, adds a Yud, which is generally a representative of God's name. He adds it to his name, hence Yehoshua. Hence, Joshua. Otherwise, it would be Shua, not Joshua. So, um, what, what, uh, what did he see in Yehoshua that he thought he would be have a problem? And what Moshe saw in Yehoshua was that he was perhaps very, he was very trusting, and on some level, a little bit naive, and he could be influenced by these other people. And the question is, like, um, what, what needed to change exactly? He certainly was a very humble person. But what was the element that Moshe wanted to introduce to him that would make him able to deal with these people? 
So the commentator Avnei Shoham explains, there's a famous story, a famous story which so often we hear around the time of Tisha B'Av. And the famous story is that there was a person who um, was too humble. And the story went that it was a not Jewish, it was a, a not Jewish person who wanted to bring a a, um, a sacrifice in the temple. And uh, long story short, is that there kept being someone who was too nervous to take action. And because they were too nervous to take action, not, they weren't confident enough, it ended up causing a major catastrophe and ultimately the temple being destroyed. And all that came from a person needing to know that sometimes you got to be uncompromising. Sometimes you got to be unequivocal. Yes, a person should compromise and be tolerant and be sensitive, but there are morals. A person does have to have values that they stand for. And families have values, people have values, communities have values, the Jewish people have values, mankind has values. And yes, these, these, these all these walls are falling down around us. So that's why it's so as important as ever um, for ourselves. And if we want to have healthy relationships, to make sure we have the objective uh, moral compass that the Torah um, gives us. Because otherwise, you know, and I see your average person on the street, of course they're not going to stand up for what they always thought was right. Because they don't even know if it's right. So that's why we need we need that, that we're coming. You know, people ask me questions all the time. You know, does this make sense in Judaism? Does that make sense in Judaism? And often the answer really is, that, you know, to a certain, yes, we can understand a lot in the Torah, but at a certain point, it's going to be, you know what? I'm trusting God. God knows better. And we do this in all areas of our life. We do it with our health. We do it with, um, with our money. We do it with our cars. But for some reason, when it comes to, um, when it comes to, uh, uh, Judaism, or it comes to our morality, we're like, yeah, you know, we, 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 have, we have to be the experts. And we don't. We should try our best to understand, and we're not pushing away any questions. But ultimately, if we wait till we understand every single thing, we're going to be waiting a long time. Um, so, in last week's Torah portion, the last thing it discusses over there was when Miriam, to some degree, talks not kindly about her brother Moshe. And the beginning of this Parsha says that the people did not learn their lesson from that story. And that's how this story was able to happen, because they both involved talking inappropriately. That was a person talking about another person. And here, it's the uh, the tribes and the Jewish people listening, because and uh, if you don't have an audience, you can't talk. So in Judaism, we, we take very seriously. We say there's almost never no such thing as an innocent bystander. Um, so Rashi says that it, it was considered a, uh, this, was, this, was, this was what happened when they didn't learn from the story. And um, here's the question. Like, why, what, what was wrong with what they did? I mean... They weren't saying they weren't going to go to Israel. 
they basically were saying, look, God, you're saying we got to go fight these kingdoms. Doesn't it make sense then for us to go, you know, spy out the land and then we'll do it. So what was the problem? And on the, on the surface, it seems like a very uh, practical thing. You know, let's say I need a, I need to buy a house. So I hire a real estate person. I hire a title company. I get a mortgage company. I get an insurance company. You have a person who evaluates the house. That's not considered a problem, even if you're going to buy the house. So I saw a nice explanation from Rabbi Ordman, Rabbi Shrell Ordman, who says that the problem was in the way they were looking at it something which we call, and we talked about this in Ethics of the Fathers, having an eye in Tova, having a good eye. Not the good eye from baseball, but a good eye. What does a good eye mean? It's actually representative in science. It's well known, you speak to any, uh, any uh, eye doctor, that a person typically has one eye that is stronger than the other. And what does that represent? As we know, everything in the physical is a certain um, uh, expression of the of the metaphysical and the much deeper. And the idea of having one eye that's stronger than the other is to demonstrate that they have different purposes. A person metaphysically should have one eye on himself and one eye outside. Now, here's the question. Which one... Sh- is God intending to be stronger, the one looking out or the one looking in? And we say it's supposed to be the one looking in because you can't change anybody else and you can't change situations. Mostly you can you can change yourself. You can work on your attitude. How are you going to view something? And that was their issue. Their issue was they were not looking at things. And yet, yes, yes, technically speaking, you could check the box. It kind of made sense what was going on here. But they, they were expected to look at things in a better way. The famous story with the, uh, with the famous person, Simon Wiesenthal. Simon Wiesenthal is famous as a person after World War II. There's a center in L.A., a multi-multi-million dollar organization dedicated originally, I think, to hunting down Nazis. And then I think now it's, it's dedicated to, to general, um, uh, you know, fighting anti-Semitism. Amazing organization. Very, 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 very uh, respectable organization. And the, and the founder of it, I believe, or if one was involved, was Simon Wiesenthal. Now, Simon Wiesenthal was a Holocaust survivor. And after the war... They had the DP camps. There was a particular rabbi, a rabbi from Cincinnati, one of the main leaders at the time in America. He went to the DP camps, you know, the displaced person camps, to give strength and to help whatever he could. All the it was a real problem after World War II. Yeah, it was very it's good the war was over, but it really was a very challenging time for people who had all in trauma and and and, and had major needs, and, and and there still was plenty of anti-Semitism around. And the um, Rabbi Silver wanted to make a minion. I think it was a Friday night, maybe, for Kabbalah Shabbat. And he sees everyone comes to the minion, 
except for one man standing on the side who looked rather bitter. So he goes over to him and he said, why don't you want to join us? He said, I'm not joining you. This religion, no good. He said, what's the problem? He said, you know, in the, in the camps, there was a man who had a sitter. He had a prayer book. And you know what he did? He knew he had the only prayer book in the area. And he knew the Jews really wanted to use the prayer book. And could you believe he would accept a little bit of the meager rations of bread that the Jews got? And he and Jews would line up to you get a few moments with his sitter in exchange for a few crusts, maybe crumbs of bread. How, what a horrible religion, said Simon. Can you believe it? So cruel. And Rabbi Lazar Silver, while he felt the pain and certainly empathized with the man, he wanted to help him get out of his misery. And he said, you know what? You're looking at the one guy, and you can't judge the one guy. We can't judge anyone in that situation. But in any event, you're focusing on the guy who owned this, the prayer book. But why don't you look at that long line of people? Look at that beautiful religion. People so dedicated, they were willing to give up their last bread. He said, you got to, and this, and this, is, this is the idea. There's always more than one way of looking at things. Sometimes you won't be able to make some, something good out of something bad, but there's always a, be, a better way of looking at it. And you look around and you see the people who are happiest in life are people who are able to do this, are able to somehow get a good positive read on something. There's a famous um, uh, verse that says, when discussing Jerusalem, it says, You should see the good of Jerusalem. So people discuss, where does that mean to see the good of Jerusalem? And it means that it's that a person, when they look at Jerusalem, they look at something, look for the good. Look for the good. We just heard this last night at a, at a lecture I was at, actually my son's graduation. And the main speaker has said that when he... Um, was visiting his uncle in the city of Benebrak. So he said that um, uh, he, he was really hot. He comes there, his uncle says, no, how you doing? And he says, I'm so hot. And he said, that's not how we talk about Israel. Yes, it's hot. And this rabbi, to his credit, this speaker, who's a crackerjack speaker, but he said, that um, that was the last time he ever ever you ever heard him say that it's hot in 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 uh, in Israel. I had this also like a year and a half ago. My cousin, at the time, it was very challenging in Israel with you know COVID. Challenging everywhere, but everyone, particularly I think Israel at the moment, at the time was being was was challenging. Uh, my cousin had gone there for whatever reason, and I texted him, um, you know, how's it going there? And he said a verse from our Parsha, ma'od ma'od, the land of Israel is truly a very good place. And it is a very good place. But even the best of things 
you're gonna you want to if you don't want to be focused on the good, you're not going to focus on the good. And that is such a powerful, helpful life hack, as they say. So let's talk about this a little more. So the Moraglan, the, the spies came back and they said we saw lots of people dying. Now they did. And what? So, you know, they have to report it. And if you read the verse, they didn't even say anything bad. But what exactly? Um, one second. What exactly was the issue? A little different than we've been saying till now. The stapler, Rabbi Ham Konievsky's father of blessed memory, says that, remember, these were the leaders of the tribes. And they knew that when they moved to Israel, they might lose their job. They might lose their job. In fact, maybe they knew they were going to lose their jobs. And in fact, there's a story in the Talmud. There was a great rabbi who understood, oh, I forgot what, what, uh, what was it from, but talk to the animals, whatever it was. But as a great rabbi who understood the language of the birds, and apparently you see this in the a lot, the birds know things. And this rabbi was in jail for whatever reason, probably unjustly, and he understood, and, and the um, he heard the birds, and he heard the birds, he perceived that they were saying that he should escape. He turns to, I guess, maybe his fellow rabbi next to him and says, you know, did did you hear what the what what the bird said? And the commentators ask, you know, he understood the birds. Why does he have to ask his friend? And Reb Chaim Shmulevitz says that this this rabbi understood that he was a famous thing called Nogeya Bedavar, a person who is touched by the thing. It's a common thing in Jewish vernacular in, in yeshiva circles to say. What does Amnagea Bedavar mean? It means it's touching me, and since it's touching me, it's something that's relevant to me, I'm not going to be able to see it straight. And we that is a fantastic, if a person can understand, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with being biased. It's a reality of life. When things somehow will impact us, we have to realize that it does impair our judgment, and we need to ask other people's input who don't have that the bias that we have and biases aren't bad it just could be a bias you could have a bad bias but but many biases are normal you know you're having your best interest your family best interest even someone else's you know you, you, there's so many angles and that was the problem here they 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 when they were focused on these people dying they didn't even notice that it wasn't even a bad thing per se people die all the time or people die of good reason or of whatever, of something that made sense. Nothing that should have scared um, them them off. Now, after the story of the spies, the Torah discusses famously tzitzis. Tzitzis, right? You got tzitzis, you have talis, you have tzitzis. So the part of the Torah that talks about tzitzis is in this week's Torah portion. And... Um, the question is why. We know in the Torah, there when when different 
if things are discussed in the Torah, there is a reason why they're juxtaposed. The Talmud says then, you know, in the time of the temple, the tzitzis used to not just be white. They used to be white and half of it was like greenish bluish. And the Talmud says that the reason why is that the that color would remind the person of the sea, which would then remind them of the sky, which would then remind them of the color of God's throne, the sapphire on God's throne. And that is a pretty, like, you know, deep idea. You know, when I see these sitsis, I'm supposed to think, hey, sea, sky, God. Well, that was the mistake that these spies made. They didn't think deeply. They, they just look, thought and looked superficially. And, and, and they, they say, I believe I'm not a uh, mental health professional, but my understanding from uh, psychology is that um, when a person has a reaction to something, there's like a very small percentage of their reaction is what, of what just happened. The vast majority is, a, is like based on their baggage. So let's say you would tell me, come over here. And let's say you said, come over here in a very nice way. But I have a flashback, let's say, from a boss that every time the boss would say, come over here, it was something negative. So then that puts me and my relationship at a, um, at a, uh, at a disadvantage. Um, so that, that's a very powerful idea. To see there's always much more than, uh, than, than, uh, than there is on the surface. Okay. So it's interesting that sorry, Moshe was concerned about Yahushua. What but the Zohar actually says a very uh, not expected explanation. He says that Yahushua didn't want to be a leader. And Reb Kolevsky says that Moshe was concerned that Yahushua may give over a bad report because he didn't want the Jews to go to Israel because he didn't want to be the leader, which came from a place of humility. And we see that, that sometimes a person can have something called a kosher bias. It's coming from a place of something good, but yet it could still be wrong. And really the only way to, to, to navigate such things is to, um, is to uh, um, you got to have a seilacharaf. Make for yourself a teacher. Make for yourself people in your life that you can just go to them because it's very hard to navigate. Now, this is not the only instance where we find in the Torah that the, the Jewish people send spies. In fact, it seems very hard to understand, but Yoshua himself actually sends spies 40 years later 
when the Jews are conquering Israel, he sends spies out. And the question is, didn't he learn? It wasn't a good idea. But then it, in later on when he does it, it is considered a good idea. So what's the difference? So the Medrash, when discussing this, employs the word cheresh. Now the word cheresh uh, most commonly is trans translated as deaf. The difference is is that they were deaf. The, the, the deer, the spies that were appropriate, they made themselves deaf to anything else. They had a job. This is your job. They were not, they, 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 lived, they were not influenced by anyone. They just were going to observe. They were not going to listen to anything outside of that. And that was the difference. You can have two people doing the same exact thing. One has their own agenda, and one has the appropriate um, endeavor. And, 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 and that was their job, and that's what they did. So many things like that, right? That you can have two people doing the same exact thing, or even the same person who sometimes does it one way, and sometimes does it the other way. Do you have another agenda? I have a friend who, the famous person actually, his name is Rabbi Dr. Yaakov Solomon. He's a uh, rabbi, a famous, uh, very involved in the Jewish community, a very accomplished mental health professional. And he's written many books. And one of the things that he says often is ask yourself, what's the real reason I'm doing this? Now, often you may not even be able to uh, change what you're doing. And often you shouldn't necessarily change what you're doing. But to know what is my motivation. And sometimes you may change, but at least it's helpful. And with other people also, you can try to understand that by knowing what is their motivation. Let's do one more idea. It says in the Torah, interesting words. Chapter 15, verse 29. What does it say? Talking about different sacrifices. And then it says an interesting word. It says, Torah achas yelochem. It's one, it should be one Torah for you. Now, midrashically, we, uh, we take this to say, what does it mean? The Torah is immutable and timeless. It doesn't matter who you are. The Torah is the same exact Torah. It has messages for every person in every situation in every period. The Torah is the only thing in the world that is everything to everyone. And this and and that so that so that's one thing. And another thing to say that how central it is. The Torah is the central artery of Judaism. It's the central artery of the world. It influences everybody. You have to realize the Torah is at the source of everything. And, 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 and be, be precisely because it's at the source of everything, that allows it, that, and that's because it's everything to everyone. Okay. 
one, one, I know I'm going to say one more idea. It says in chat that the one of the things that the it came back complaining about was these humongous fruit. Now, really, that's supposed to be incredible. Wow, look at this country. The produce is incredible. But yet they came back and it was considered a bad thing. And Dr. A.J. Tversky is uh, famous for helping people recover from alcohol and all types of challenges. And his general philosophy is, is that, similar to what we said before, is that you find anything that, everything's good. And all people are good. They just need to be polished sometimes. And that, uh, that's, that's what relationships are about. That's what teaching is about. And, and that's what truly, truly seeing the good in people and the good in everything. Let's do a quick review. We learned from Rabbi Ordman how a person has one stronger eye and one less stronger eye. And really the stronger eye should focus on yourself. Often it's the other way around. And we got to focus on the good. We learned how uh, when if you perceive yourself one way, people may perceive you that way as well, even though it's not really true. We learned how a person needs to be sometimes not too, not too humble, but to be unequivocal and uncompromising when that's appropriate. We learned how a person sometimes can be no gabadabra. Person can be they're, they're biased. We learned that sometimes a person can even have a bias that's kosher. That's why you need must have a very high level. Anyone who's objective, but particularly someone who's of a high moral character, to help you navigate even those kosher biases. We learned how a person can have the same exact action, and and sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. But what's your agenda? Are you deaf to any other outside things just the way you're trying to do? Or do you have something else going on? Learn how the Torah is everything for everyone and that it's at the central. It's, it's literally the center of, of the world. And lastly, he said how a person has to realize that the way you're going to see the good in something is realizing that there is good there and valuing that good and that maybe it's just the diamond that needs to be polished. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for coming on.